Good morning, fellow Scots. Welcome to chapel. And to the 2017 Brock Forum on Leadership. Uh, the Brock Forum on Leadership was established in 2007 and exists to encourage best practices in business leadership uh, through presentations and dialogue both on our campus and in the local business community. Um, in establishing this forum, uh, we seek to honor Covenant College's fourth president, Dr. Frank Brock, um, and honor his legacy of faithful and effective servant leadership both here at the college and in the Chattanooga business community. So a little background on Dr. Brock. Um, I already mentioned uh, he was the president here at Covenant College, the president when I was a student, so a long time ago. Uh, before he came to Covenant, he served as executive vice president of the Brock Candy Company, the family business and a candy corn manufacturing powerhouse. Uh, he left the family candy business in 1985 uh, and went into management consulting. One of his first clients was Covenant College. And in 1987, he was appointed as Covenant's fourth president. He served as president until 2002 and then served as a founding president of the Covenant College Foundation from which he retired in 2010. Um, he is a native of Chattanooga and in particular of the mountain. Um, he did get away for a little while, did his undergrad at UNC Chapel Hill, uh, his MBA at Harvard, and spent some time in the Air Force in Tucson, Arizona, uh, but has remained an active member of the Chattanooga community. He's served on the boards of numerous organizations uh, here in the city as an elder and elsewhere as well, um, has served as an elder at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church and as a moderator of the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, he is the co one of the co-founders of the 10 Project, an initiative that seeks to mentor the next generation of civically-minded business leaders here in Chattanooga. Um, he and his wife, Dottie, have three children, Crew, Peg, and Marshall, all of them Covenant alums, uh, over 20, 22, 21 grandchildren, um, one great-grandchild in the mix right now, I think. Um, and Dr. Brock is with us today. So, uh, Frank, would you please stand? Would you just welcome him back to chapel, please? Also, an honor for me to introduce to you our 2017 Brock Forum lecturer, Mr. Henry Kastner. Uh, Kastner is uh, a co-founder and the chairman of Bandwidth.com, a telecom company that uh, together he and his business partner grew from zero million dollars in revenue uh, to over 250 million dollars uh, annually in revenue. Um, the values of Bandwidth.com have always been faith family, work, and fitness in that order. Um, and from 2003 to 2007, Bandwidth.com was the fourth fastest growing privately held company in the country. Uh, prior to co-founding Bandwidth.com, uh, Henry founded Chapel Hill Brokers, an institutional energy derivatives broker that became a top-ranked electricity broker in the country. Uh, before that, he worked on Wall Street. Um, he currently serves as managing principal of Sovereign's Capital, a firm that invests in early growth stage companies with exceptional growth potential um, in expanding markets, emerging markets, um, and also invests in those companies that have proven management teams with strong ethical values and Christian leadership. 
Um, he is an elder in the Presbyterian Church in America, and he lives with his wife Kimberly and their three sons in Los Gatos, California. Uh, in addition to speaking with us in chapel today, uh, Henry already spoke in one of uh, Professor Quattro's management classes this morning. He's having lunch with business students today, and then he'll be speaking downtown to a group of key business leaders uh, here in Chattanooga this evening. Um, he is a native of Baltimore, Maryland. I knew, that, I knew some Maryland people would like that. I, I should have said Baltimore. Baltimore. Um, uh, he did his undergraduate degree in international relations at the University of Delaware. I know there are some Delaware people here. Um, so he is a fighting blue hen. Um, but I learned this morning that he also is predominantly Scottish in his lineage. Uh, so would you Scots please give a warm Scots welcome to Henry Kaysner. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Wow. That's a great welcome. Thank you very, very much. And I came uh, before, before California. I was in North Carolina where I'm also a Tar Heels fan, so I thank you for the especially warm welcome over there. Appreciate that. Um, so it is an incredible honor to be with you. This is a real treat for me. I've come to know Covenant from afar. I came here maybe first time maybe seven years ago and fell in love as you all have with your campus and ethos and the people here. And it is great for me to be back. Uh, great honor for me to be able to hang out with my friend Derek, Dr. Halverson, and to meet this morning a, a great man that I'd heard a lot about. I've come to understand and know and love his lineage, um, but Dr. Brock is uh, really cool, and it's really uh, good for me to spend some time with him this morning just to understand more about Covenant and some of the things that, that God is doing here as he equips you to get out in the workplace uh, and in the, uh, the academy and in the ministry. And my hope today is that I might be able to share with you some of my story. More importantly, I hope that I get to share with you some of God's story as he's worked in my life. And so there might be some aspects of what he's done through me that might be an encouragement to you. And maybe they're an encouragement to you in your vocation and what you do next. Um, but hopefully, uh, through the way he's worked through me, you come to know him a little bit more. That's my biggest goal. So I hope that that happens. So I'll start off, though, with my story and who I am. You know that I'm from Baltimore. That was a great welcome from the Baltimore. Is there really that many people from Baltimore here? That is awesome. Um, and uh, then I went to school at the University of Delaware, Fighting Blue Hens. Not as cool a nickname uh, as, a, uh, as a Scott, but went to school there. When I was at the University of Delaware, I found my first love. For me, my first love wasn't my wife-to-be. It was selling t-shirts, as strange as that sounds. But I found that I could make t-shirts for $5, and I could sell them for 10 And even I could do that math, and that was great. It was a lot of fun. We sold them at uh, the University of Delaware, and then at other schools. And by the time I got out of college, we sold t-shirts at like 50 different schools. And it was a lot of fun. And I began uh, to really understand part of what God created me to be and that I really loved business. And I loved things that had to do with the creation and the sale of goods and services and understanding what a customer wanted. And that was great fun for me. Now, I had some challenges uh, with the business that resulted in me deciding it was probably not a good idea for me to continue selling T-shirts for the rest of my life. And I went and uh, went through all the different type of cultural inputs I had in my life at that time. And there was a popular movie out called Wall Street. 
and I don't know if you've seen the original one. Anybody seen the original Wall Street here? Okay, so there's this character, Michael Douglas plays this character called Gordon Gecko, and his hair greased back, and he's got suspenders on, and he talks about greed is good, and greed captures and clarifies the American spirit, and for some reason I thought that was a, a great thing, and of course it's not. But then there's this junior guy in the movie uh, that was called Bud Fox, played by Charlie Sheen. And he had two phones up, and he was on a trading desk. And I said, that's what I want to be when I grow up, which is your first sign that maybe you've got to be wary of your chapel speaker. If Charlie Sheen is your early role model, <laughs> it's a big problem. So for me, I was about, my life was about a search for happiness, as probably so many of yours is. And I thought that I might acquire happiness in a career at, in Wall Street, that if I made a lot of money... That's really what life was all about. If I could be Bud Fox, if I could go ahead and if I could have Daryl Hannah as my girlfriend and have, uh, have an apartment with an exposed brick wall on the Upper West Side, if I could have a sushi machine and all those things, then clearly I'd be happy. Uh, and then, uh, so I pursued that. I did that at uh, Merrill Lynch and then some other financial firms. I also thought that uh, when that didn't deliver the way I expected it would, uh, that I would find my happiness in my dating life and uh, dating different girls, I thought that might deliver uh, true happiness. Of course, that didn't either. Uh, I ended up finding the girl that I ended up marrying, uh, which is a seminal event, of course, in my life. And actually, as that happened, uh, I really had some real challenges in putting it all together. And I actually had bouts of anxiety that had me take weeks of time off of work at Merrill Lynch, and they were very gracious with me. But I had come to understand at a relatively early age, for me, it was 26 when I had this kind of crisis of what is the meaning of life and all these things that were going to deliver happiness for me that the world told me would deliver, they're not. But I had this kind of revelation at 26 that there's something bigger, just that I didn't know what it was. So I got some counseling, I got some therapy that kind of helped me through and give me just the basics I needed to be able to have a successful relationship and a successful business. But the big thing that happened to me in my life was coming down to Chapel Hill, North Carolina when I was 28 in 1998, and as Kimberly and I were going to get married, we decided that we would do as all good people do. You know, the moral thing to do is to join a church. That proves that you've got some moral compass. And so we went out and we interviewed uh, and just visited a bunch of different churches, trying to find one we'd join. And we stumbled in one day into a church called the Church of Good Shepherd, which was a PCA church. And we thought that'd be safe enough. We grew up in a very liberal Presbyterian world. And it said Presbyterian on the front of the building. And so we walked in. And there was a guy there that uh, was preaching that day, the senior pastor. And he clearly believed that the Bible was true. And I had no place in my mind at all for that. How can you be confident, articulate, and intelligent and actually believe that this Bible, this cultural artifact, is really true? And so uh, for me, the way that I came to faith is this. I thought, gosh, I could get up to heaven and St. Peter's there for the entrance interview. And he looks at me and says, all right, Kaysner. So uh, I know you read like 10,000 books while you're in Earth, but you never really cracked the cover of the best-selling book of all time. I can't let you in. I thought, oh my goodness, it can't go down like that. So I need to read this book. Now, if you go to Covenant, you have an idea about how many pages are in the Bible, right? There are a lot of them. I had no idea. So I got the book. And then I looked at the back, and it was the New Testament. And I got through prep school by reading the cliff notes of all the classics. I said, ah, oh, this is perfect. It's the cliff notes for the Bible. It's in the back. And that's the Christian part anyway. So I'll read that. 
And so I read it. And actually, as it turns out, in reading the New Testament, it took me further away from faith, Christian faith at the beginning. There are crazy things in there, like, you know, before the world was, I am. And, and I saw Satan fall from heaven. And I was like, oh my goodness, who is this guy? He's got this God complex. As, as it turns out, for good reason, he is God, right? And in reading through it again, because I was just fascinated by it, the Holy Spirit worked in my life, and I came to understand, of course, that this is true. And if it's true, it changes everything. And it did for me. And so that changed the trajectory of my life forever. It's the greatest thing that ever happened for me. I came to understand, of course, what the search for happiness was about. It's the Psalm 1 thing. It's about planting your trees by streams of living water, by God, and I got it. Which does not mean at age 28, I've been happy ever since then. But like the Psalm says, I bear my fruit in season, but because of that faith that transformed my life at age 28, my leaf never withers. And so what I want to tell you a little bit about is how that faith transformation about finally finding the meaning of life, the search for happiness, has impacted what God has done for me and my vocation and some of the lessons I've learned. So as you probably gathered a little bit from Dr. Halverson, I entered in, uh, into the entrepreneurial world. I sold the business that I had, and I started a new company called Bandwidth. And for those of you who don't know, Bandwidth does two things, and we like to think we do them well. One is we have a telecom company that originates voice traffic. And telecom is all about origination and termination. Origination really are the phone numbers and the network underneath of them that makes them work. And we have more than 50 million numbers in service and we power things like Google Voice and Microsoft and Lyft, if you know Lyft, which is kind of like an Uber competitor and people like that. And then we have a company called Republic Wireless, which makes a mobile device that works on Wi-Fi and a cellular back, uh, backhaul network. And so we save people a lot of money in their cell phone bill. So that's the boring part of what we do. The exciting part of what we do is that we started this business and wanted to be very intentional about our culture. And for us, we knew that our culture at our company needed to mirror who we were as individuals if it was going to have any integrity at all. So for us, me as a new believer and David as a lifelong believer, we decided that our culture and our values were going to be about faith first, then family, then work, and then fitness. And I'm going to take them in reverse order. David is a world-class endurance athlete. I'm not kidding. Until recently, he held the double obstacle course record at Quantico. The guy's a complete stud. It's amazing what he does. I am a neighborhood-class endurance athlete, and I live in a very small neighborhood with lots of older people. <laughs> and, but we both like to work out. It's a big part of who we are, and we have about 500 employees. And for every day, if you work out, you get an hour and a half off. We think that is a big part of making us innovative and creative. Without it, we're lost. And that's because that flows from us. We feel that when we work out and get out, uh, we feel like we're at our best too. So we have the champion ice hockey team uh, in Raleigh as the bandwidth team, basketball teams, two ultimate frisbee teams. We entered in a team into the race across America, which is an endurance cycling race, and we won it. So it's a big part of who we are. That's not as important, of course, as what we do for work. In work, we try to help our customers to remark un, uh, unlock sorry, remarkable value for themselves as a consumer or for our larger customers for their, for their service offering. So work is important for us we, when we work to take another uh, line from a movie from the 1980s, which makes me culturally irrelevant for you, but there's this movie called Chariots of Fire. In it, there's this famous line, 
And I'm going to adopt it for us. And it's, that is, when we work at bandwidth, we feel God's pleasure. It's what we feel like we were created to do. It's the gifting and it's the talent. It's the interest that he's implanted in us. And our best expression in it is working hard and working for his glory. And I'll tell you a little bit more about what that means in a second. Number two is family. 500 employees, most of them are young. Uh, lots of them are young parents. We think that there's a great time to be a parent, a mom or a dad, from 6 to 8.30, so we kick all of our employees out. There is no bravado in working past 6 o'clock and working late hours at the office because it means that you're not at home loving on your spouse or your kids through the times of bedtime and bath time and story time. So we kick all our employees out. But because we want to compete and win, and ours is a very competitive space, at 8.30, if there's more work to be done, you dial back in and get your work done. One night that that doesn't happen, though, is Wednesday night. For Dave and I, Wednesday night is date night. It's a chance for us to go out and tell our, our wives how much we love them and that they, in fact, are more important than our work. That's number two. Number one is faith. For us, we don't have fish on our business cards and we don't do healing ceremonies on Wednesdays. We do them on Tuesdays. <laughs> we, don't, we do not have healing ceremonies at bandwidth. But our expression, what we do, is about bringing God glory. It's why we do what we do. And we try to do it well. Of course, we fail in bits and pieces and almost every day. But it's why we do what we do. And every one of our employees comes to know that. Now, we hire the best person for the job, which means oftentimes we don't have Christ followers. And in fact, most of our employees don't share the same type of evangelical or orthodox faith that Dave and I have. And yet, they know why we do what we do. And I'll talk about that in a little bit uh, as well. So that's bandwidth, a little bit about our culture. Uh, and what makes me tick and what I do. A little bit about the, the story of bandwidth and what led me to Sovereign's Capital is that uh, David and I had this idea for the business. You now know about the culture. We got out there and uh, set out to change the way that businesses bought telecom. And we had some fits and starts. Uh, we spent through all the money that I had had from our prior exit. And about two and a half years in, we finally found the model that we thought was really going to scale. And so we were then out of money, though. We needed to raise money. And so we did, as many entrepreneurs will do, we went out to try to raise venture capital. We would not talk about our faith on the first visit. But as we went ahead and interviewed more and more venture capitalists, and some of them got serious about investing in us, we wanted to tell them what made us tick while we did what we did about our culture and our values. So, you know, we may, we may do wacky things like pray before board meetings. Uh, as we talked about our faith, we got a lot of blank stares. I think that in a best-case scenario, we were misunderstood. In uh, worst-case scenario, I think we were prejudiced against a little bit. We went 0 for 40 in venture raises. Uh, we raised just a very little bit of money. And then as Dr. Halverson shared, through the grace of God, we became really successful and are independent. And, uh, and God's allowed us to be able to create and innovate and have a really, really neat business. So that experience taught me two things. One... Christian-led businesses and Christ followers in business can, of course, compete and win and do well. And number two, institutional capital doesn't know what to make of that. When you're about something greater than just the manufacturing and distribution of widgets and the distribution of profits, when you're about something bigger than that, not excluding that, but something bigger than that, lots of institutional capital doesn't know what to make of that. So we started a fund 
called Sovereign's Capital, which is my day job now. I retired as CEO of Bandwidth and just became chairman when I turned 40. And now my job and what I do, my vocation, what God has me doing in the marketplace, is to work with Christ-following entrepreneurs and invest in them and come alongside them and to invest capital in them and to invest my time in helping them to understand what it looks like to have a God-honoring business by sharing them the mistakes we've made at Bandwidth. Uh, I'll tell you something real quickly. One is uh, a mistake we made is very early at Bandwidth, we had uh, small groups, we had Bible studies, and it created an us-versus-them type of environment uh, where people felt like they had to go to Bible study if they're going to uh, get a promotion. That was not the right fit for us. And some of the companies we invest in is the right fit for their culture. It wasn't the right one for us. But here, here's one uh, big mistake that I made early on that my hope is that you will not make for those of you who come out, get out in the marketplace, which is all of you, because you're all going to be sent from here and commissioned from here to get out in the marketplace. It took me eight years at bandwidth before I got comfortable in praying with non-believing employees. So somebody who comes to you in a work environment or if you're in your ministry, or if you're in the academy, or if you're in medicine, or in law, somebody comes to you that you have a relationship with and says, you know, I'm really stressed because my dad's going through chemo. Or I've got to leave work early on Thursday because Johnny's got in trouble and I've got to go to the, the principal's office. For the first eight years, I didn't then say, can I pray for you? Since then, I've done hundreds of times and it's been universally received for what it is. It's me loving on them the best way I know how. And I don't pretend that they pray the sinner's prayer as they walk out of my office. But I do know that God uses that to witness to them. It took me eight years before I got the, 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 the courage to be able to do that well. My hope is that you all do that earlier on and that you come to understand some of the things you've already known to be true, which is that when you share the reason for the hope you have and why you do what you do, that that can be really compelling. So that gets at one of the things that uh, I hope uh, dovetails with your studies and your search on leadership. Because I come from a business background, of course, but you are all leaders and will all be leaders. You're going to be leaders of your family. You're going to be leaders in all the different aspects of culture. And so one of the, kinds, one of the things that I've come to learn from my experience at Bandwidth and through investing in these 28 companies that we've made investments in is how important it is that we as leaders can talk about why we do what we do. Now, I'm not new on that. I'm surely not very original on that. Uh, there's a phenomenal TED.com talk by a guy named Simon Sinek that looks at the why of leadership, and he looks at how that worked out for the Wright brothers and how it worked for Steve Jobs. Uh, Clayton Christensen's written on it. Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, talk about it. But when we can be articulate in life about why we do what we do, it makes for much more effective leadership people tend to follow us when we're about something, again, that's greater than the manufacture and distribution of widgets. At bandwidth, as I came to understand that, I said, well, that's one of the things that makes a, a Christian-led business different. We do what we do for the glory of God. That gives us an advantage. And it does, no doubt about it. When you're an entrepreneur or you're out there as a leader, when you have an active faith, you can go ahead and dra uh, drag from that, pull from that, when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, and every entrepreneur goes through that, you will go through that in your careers. You will have troubles that are going to confront you that you're going to see, and if you're not equipped to go through them with an active faith, you're going to have real challenges. 
So the why of leadership and having a Christ-following background to that is really, really important. But the challenge I came to understand in my own life and then also in the lives of, my, of the entrepreneurs we invest in is that for a Christ follower, it's not always that simple, is it? Yes, we've been trained. We come to understand that why you do what you do is for the glory of God. You see it in this setting. It's obvious. And yet too often in my life, even after becoming a believer, part of what I do is because I want to seek the approval of peers. Or I want to compete and win. Or I want to make money. And so one of the Proverbs that's really made an impact in my life is all of a man's ways seem pure to him, but his motives are weighed by the Lord. I found that when I am conscious of that reality, that when I can come back and check on my motives, which all too often as a sinful man fall short of the glory of God, but that when I'm conscious of those, I stand a much better chance to lead. Because the thing that we all need to know as we leave these doors and we go ahead and we get out into the real world is that we will self-identify at some level as Christ followers. Because you've been in this environment, you will have the courage about being able to talk about how God has worked in your life in a way that doesn't sound offensive. The challenge for all of us, though, is to be able to really understand why we're doing what we're doing. To the extent that, too often, as has been in my case, I'm doing what I'm doing out of fear or I'm doing out of what I'm doing because I want to make money, our Christian witness will fall short. So what we do is we work with these 28 companies, many of whom are exhibited by leaders who have some degree of anxiety. They're worried that their business won't succeed. Is to help them to come to understand that they have this incredible opportunity to work out of this gratitude for the gift that's given them. And that sounds too preachy, so I don't want to spend too much time on that. But one thing that I really want you to be able to, to grasp and to get, of course, is that when you get out into the marketplace, as you can be in, as you can continue to encounter the living God, you have a much better chance of being able to be a winsome cultural witness. And uh, let me tell you a little bit more about what that looks like. 28 companies that we've invested in, every single one of them has some level of workspace righteousness and it and it is a feeling like you know what god's given me so much and if i don't deliver on all the great things i've been given i'm going to be beaten with many blows and they take that one passage in scripture which is a really important one but that becomes the root of what they do my hope is that all of you and all of the companies that we invest in come to understand that they have this opportunity to have this new identity and identity as a beloved child of god and one of the things that's so cool about covenant as you guys get that, it's part of your mission. But all too often, we'll miss that, and you'll get out there, and you'll miss some components of that. So I uh, want to share with you a little bit of the encouragement we have with this portfolio we have. And that is that when you uh, can get out and continue outside of this environment to endeavor to know God by being in His Word, by praying, by fasting— and then being in accountability groups, being in friendship groups, hanging out with other believers who are able to help you to be able to understand and be accountable for your motives and being out there and make sure that you still have the joy in your faith. When you can do that, you're going to be much more effective with your work. And so I want to leave you with a couple of stories from fo uh, some folks that are doing that really well and candidly are doing that even better than we ever did at Bandwidth. And, uh, and my hope is that by hearing some of these stories, it might jog an idea in your mind about some of the things that you might be called to do. 
So one of the companies that we've invested in is a company called Cloud Factory. Cloud Factory started by some guys that came out of Oracle and Sun Microsystems. They got really excited about their faith and were drawn to the country of Nepal. They knew that these people in Nepal had this uh, great British education, were really smart, but they didn't have any opportunities for work. So they wanted to teach them programming, Ruby on Rails programming. In the process of doing that, they were able to train up 2,500 folks on how to do Ruby on Rails and came to understand that they could teach them not only programming, but artificial intelligence and machine learning in such a way that they could go ahead and work with some of the largest companies in America, Microsoft and Amazon and others, and help them to process large amounts of data. So today, they employ more than 2,500 people in Nepal, more than 1,000 people in Kenya, in an awesome business that competes at the highest levels, is extremely profitable. Then as a part of leading this business, they're able to talk about why they do what they do out of a desire to bring God glory. And that includes for them loving on their employees really well. So they're one of the highest wage payers in Nepal. The other thing that they want to do as a part of their faith as it works out through their work is they want to love on their community really well. So they've got an incredible corporate social responsibility program. So uh, I'll reverse, go backwards for just a second. Corporate social responsibility is a big part of bandwidth. We have something called Bandwidth Cares. We make up t-shirts. We feel really good about it. We probably did eight projects last year. Felt great. Cloud Factory last year did 1,000 community service projects in a country, Nepal, that doesn't have corporate social responsibility at all. So they've been able to take this awesome business they have, motivated by this incredible faith, but using all the talents they have to be able to create a culture where people are loving on their neighborhoods. So when the earthquake happened, the first responders were Cloud Factory employees because they'd already been in the community, they'd already been loving on all the people, and so it becomes this great cultural witness, which is an awesome, awesome thing. Uh, Another company that I love is a company called Mancrates. And Mancrates will do just around $75 million this year in gifts for men. They make these crates, they wrap them in duct tape, there's like a zombie protection kit, and there's a new father kit, and all these really neat creative gifts. And it was born out of a guy's belief that he felt most alive when he gave. And he remembered how his parents loved on him by coming up with creative gifts. They didn't have a lot of money, so he recalled how his dad was able to put together a plexiglass uh, 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 hockey goal uh, that he and his friends could play on. He said, you know what, I want to be involved in helping people to give more creatively. And that's where I feel most alive. And that's what I feel that God's designed me to do. So I'm going to do that out of this greater sense of purpose of being alive. And that's going to permeate everything we do at Mancrates. So one of the most competitive things you can ever do is to do giving, gifts rather, on e-commerce. And yet it's his sense of this calling about being most alive when we give that has allowed him to be able to get out there to be innovative and creative and attract awesome talent and to be able to be really successful in a high margin business and a high growth business. So that's a business that we love. Um, And there's another business. Uh, a, uh, A doctor said, you know, I think that there's this great opportunity for me to take what I've learned in medicine, because I know a lot of you guys are going to go off to medical school, take what God has taught me in medicine to be able to come up with a medical device that's going to help kids in septic shock. And so we're going to create this device that's going to be able to get the 410 CLs that a kid needs when they're going in septic shock. Much easier, allowing a doc to be able to administer it with one hand, saving kids' lives, and then he's spending time, quiet time, and he's motivated by Ephesians 410 for us to be able to minister to the gifts that we've been given. 
And he has this opportunity to love on God and to talk about why he does what he does and the name 410 in a secular medical community in a way that really bears great witness to his faith because they've got an incredible, an incredible medical device. Uh, one of the common threads through all these companies is a commitment to excellence. There's a Swiss theologian by the name of Francis Schaeffer who once said, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but he said, it's the degree that you do your work well that you have an opportunity to witness and be heard. And that's one of the things that Mark Peel has at 410 Medical, and I'd like to think that all of the companies in our portfolio have, and that you'll do as well. I want to give you one final encouragement. I'm a liberal arts student, and I got out, and I had a question about, you know, would my liberal arts background be able to equip me to be able to compete and win and drive? Can I do something ever beyond the sale of T-shirts? And one of the things I came to understand, which is a truth, is that as we get out there and have an understanding about not only, of course, loving the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but when we can learn to love our neighbor as ourself by being genuinely interested in who they are, caring for them, creating cultures at companies, entrepreneurial or otherwise, that is about something greater than the manufacturing distribution of widgets, that we can be remarkably successful in whatever we do. You may not come out of covenant knowing how to do pivot tables and Excel spreadsheet as much as the next person interviewing for the job. But because you have all made a commitment to understanding humanities and how people think and philosophy and learning to love people, you will have and will have known all that you ever need to know to compete and win in business or in medicine or the academy because it's all about people. So the best training that you have will be to continue to learn how do you love people? How do you know God in a way that you can love him? And then how do you love people? And how do you do that together in community? And my hope is that as you leave these doors, that you'll stay really active with your covenant friends and alumni. Because they'll give you that sense and help you to ground yourself in that mission, mission and to be able to encourage you that all you ever needed to know about succeeding in life, you learned a covenant, which is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor, your coworker, your boss, your partner, your vendor, your customer, your employees, as yourself. Uh, it's been awesome to be with you guys. Thank you for honoring me.